This podcast, The Two Mats, is sponsored as ever by the New European Newspaper. And we've got a very special subscription offer for you, a new one, where you can get a free bollocks to Brexit passport cover. That's right, you heard that right, folks. It's a burgundy, like vegan leather, beautifully designed passport cover. Pleather. To, to have pleather, that's what, that's what they call it, isn't it? Pleather. To hide your um, new British blue. The shame of the, the blue shame, The shame passport. of the blue passport. And you can get your free bollocks to Brexit passport cover free with a subscription to the New European from just £1 a week. So to take this fantastic offer, and trust me, if you like this podcast, you will absolutely love the New European, go to theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S, and there's a link in the show notes. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, I'm Matt Kelly. And I'm Matt Dancona. And this is The Two Mats for the week ending Friday, the 11th of August. A podcast which does not lag, at least not after the edit. <laughs> why, why am I making a lag joke, Matt? Because we're in different parts of the world and uh, in our efforts to achieve what President George W. Bush would have called global reach, we're spreading out. It's all part of, it's all part of the master plan. It is. And it's been very enjoyable, actually. So I think, I think personally, and I'd love to know from... If if listeners had a view on this, whether we should do more two mats podcasts, yeah, maybe maybe we should do two a week, and if we can do it remotely, then that's perfectly possible. We'll have to discuss that with our wonderful producer Matt. Hill. Absolutely. Anyway, so uh, what did we talk about this this week? We did it, so no one else would have to. We looked at Lee Anderson, uh, deputy chair of the Conservative Party, and his ridiculous <laughs> statements about migration, and tried to ask if we were being played or not. And then, uh, rather more, in, you know, upliftingly, um, we said goodbye to two great culture heroes, um, Jamie Reed, the designer, and William Freakin, the director of The French Connection and The Exorcist, both of whom died this week. And we, and we came up with, a, with our own lists of cultural icons, didn't we? We Which I did, and I hope people will go to at the two mats on yeah. Twitter and give us their own recommendations. So, okay, uh, so this is, what are we going to call it, by the uh, way, this show? That's a good question. Well, we're looking at culture and cults. Anything uh, grab you on that? Absolute cults. <laughs> a bunch of cults. How a about A bunch that? of cults. Okay, so this is The Two Mats, Episode 8, A Bunch, bunch of, of cults. cults. Enjoy. Enjoy.
So, Matt, what do we want to talk about? Well, in this our first virtual episode, which is in itself incredibly exciting, I guess we have to talk about what started <laughs> as um, Rishi Sunak, all those on holiday, launching a kind of stop the boats week with a kind of rollout of one unpleasant announcement a day and has become Lee Anderson week. And I'm not sure this was the plan. Yeah. In fact, I'm pretty sure it wasn't the plan. So I guess to recap, it started with an interview in The Express in which Lee Anderson, who is a familiar figure to readers of the New European and I'm sure to lots of listeners of the two mats, which uh, deputy chairman of the uh, Conservative Party represents a red wall seat, Ashfield, and incarnates the spirit of the, the red wall. So he says to... Um, the Express that if asylum seekers don't like it here they can quote fuck off back to France and this is sort of chapter one in, in the saga which we'll discuss which is the response is from the more effete southern members of the government which is, is one of quiet satisfaction which is that Lee Anderson is saying what they daren't say so Alex Chalk, the Justice Secretary, says you know, he wouldn't put it quite like that, but he agrees with the sentiment. Robert Jenrick, the Immigration Minister, does the same. So they're fine with that. And then Lee Anderson goes on uh, Nigel Farage's GB News show. Lee Anderson also has his own GB News show, but for the moment this is the Farage show. And I wonder if our brilliant producer, uh, Matt Hill, um, can give us a, a taste of what... Lee said to Nigel. Listen, Nigel, I'm not going to sit here and make excuses to anyone. This is out of control. We're the, you know, we're in power at the moment. I'm, I'm, uh, as you say, the deputy chair of the Conservative Party. We're in government, and we have failed on this. There's, there's no doubt about it. You know, we said we're going to fix it. It is a failure. Look, we have got policies in place, and I know it's it's a bit hard for the British public at the moment to to actually, you know, understand what we're trying to do with the Rwanda flights. Uh, and, and the changing legislation, the illegal migration bill, and it seems very slow, it's cumbersome. We're up against it, Nigel, let's be honest. We've got the lefty lawyers, we've got the, the human rights campaigners, we've got the charities, everything's against us. But no, it's, I'm not making excuses, it's slowing us down. So that the big di- what had changed was Lee Anderson expressing exasperation and saying the government has failed. Now that's a totally different matter, and of course created a you know a, a hasty response around Whitehall and what the various places that ministers are dispersed for their holidays saying no 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 we haven't failed because Rishi Sunak one of yeah. his big objectives is to knock the small boats problem as he sees it on the head by the end of uh, 2023 and we're now already well into August so to have a figure as ubiquitous as Lee Anderson saying you've failed was was what they call in Whitehall suboptimal. I mean, the whole thing I, I find quite challenging because, you know, Lee Anderson, and by the way, worth just restating this man's position in public life, the deputy chairman yeah. of the Conservative Party, this guy, this absolute, you know, non-entity. But the challenge it presents is that he, he is absolutely right. The government has failed over the course of 13 years now in managing this problem but the paradox for people like us is that we are now doing exactly what they want us to to do which is to to talk about this issue to let this become the wedge when the real issues are are elsewhere you know it's 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 
a bunch of bleeding heart progressive liberals like us, you know, furious. All right, I'll speak for myself, but no, no, you speak for me too. A fellow traveller in that regard, you know, furious about this. It's exactly what they want because when people like us are moaning about it, the people they want to be rallying around are are happy to see that, and it sucks the oxygen out of the room around the real debates and the real challenge and the real problem is that, you know, there's 160,000 plus people waiting to have their asylum claim processed. And that's gone up from about 40,000 about f- five years ago. And that's the incompetence of, 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 of Suella Bravman and, and her predecessors in the Home Office. But that's her, she is an incompetent. If she was in, in any commercial operation, she'd have been fired years ago as an utter fraud, phony, incompetent. And... Yet there is this deliberate strategy of obfuscation and distraction. And the barge is one distraction. The latest thing is this bloody, what do they call it? The Professional Enablers Task Force, where they, they say they're going to sue, quotes, dodgy, barris- dodgy barristers for uh, processing uh, diff- uh, fraudulent asylum claim. Barristers, as if. It's an absolute nonsense. My prediction on that one is that there will be zero prosecutions, but it makes great headlines. And, and this is the, the policy of distraction that is succeeding, I'm afraid, in certain parts of the country. And, it, and we should take it very seriously, don't you think? I do. Now, of course, what we really need is a system that works and is fair and humane, and that would cost a lot of money. And Robert Jenrick, the immigration minister, uh, let the cat out of the bag this week because he was asked, well, look, you know, in, in Germany, the processing takes six months. Why does it take years in the UK? And Jenrick said, well, of course, you don't want to uh, have the processing too fast because that would act as an incentive for people to come. So, in fact, as so often with this government, yeah. the you know we've used this phrase before it's a it's a the title of a very good book on trump the cruelty is the point which is that the idea that if you come here and you get stuck in a long process which is very disagreeable bureaucratic dehumanizing you know it it, that will show you that you shouldn't come here but in fact it it isn't acting as a disincentive so it's not solving the problem uh, nor indeed is it is it really altering the reality which is that we all know that climate change, conflict and so on are going to you know, increase the question of what to do about refugees around the world. So this is a very, very blinkered, very cynical um, process. I agree with you. I think that what's going on here is an attempt to um, get us to pay attention to it, which so arguably we shouldn't be talking about it. But I think that there, there's another point to make here, well, yeah. which is that Lee Anderson, as I said, has two functions. One is that they used to say that the chairman of the uh, or the chair of the Conservative Party was the minister for the Today programme. And Lee Anderson is the the minister for the Daily Express and GB News, if you like. And he performs that function. But he also performs another function, which is contradictory, which is that he is thinking beyond the next election. Uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he's thinking about his own potential run at the leadership. And so these criticisms of the the strength of these criticisms of what has been accomplished so far, which is precisely fuck all, is partly uh, a pitch to the grassroots of the Conservative Party 
and to the people who will be deciding the identity of the next leader, which is to say in in code, I get it, I hear you, I see you, and when this lot, when Sunak and co have gone, we will make sure that we do absolutely everything that's necessary, including, by the way, leaving the European Convention on Human Rights, for which there is a big appetite amongst his kind of Conservative MP and, crucially, Conservative members who, as we know, have the final say in Tory leadership contests. Yeah. Now, I'm going to say something that might be controversial or unexpected. To me, the barge is not the problem. The problem... and, and. and yes, I'm sure it's going to be, you know, uncomfortable. And although, although having said that, you've seen pictures of people with uh, decent food and bunk beds and all of this business. And then you hear the fact that it was it's previously been used for oil workers and stuff like this uh, in the Netherlands. And so, so although I don't think, obviously, it's a nice, a particularly appetizing environment it's not a place you'd book for a holiday it's not um it's not pleasant to me it's not the point the point is that we're talking about the barge and we've been made i feel that we're being played for saps to talk about this bloody barge endlessly and for people to say exactly what i've just said well which is well it's not that bad why are they all moaning why are those dickheads going on and on about this barge when it's not that bad? Look at, you know, I've got people who are going to, going to food banks and stuff like this. These people are being handed food for nothing, blah, blah, blah. That's what a lot of people will say and think when they hear people like us or The Guardian or The Columns in the New European or whatever. They'll, they'll be thinking, those people are nuts. These, these asylum seekers are lucky to land here and be, and be given accommodation. So I do really have mixed feelings about the amount of oxygen that we give this, this barge as a, as a totem of the problem, because I don't think the barge is, is the problem. I think Suella Braverman is the problem and her utter incompetence. I, I, and no, I agree. I agree. Lee Anderson that. is the problem because he expresses random, quite far right views. OK, I, 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 I go along with that with the following caveat, which is that we saw how bad conditions can get at the Manston Processing Centre in uh, Kent. We saw how bad conditions for refugees can get before Suella Braverman acts. You know, there was diphtheria, there were people sleeping in tents with no sanitation, no clothes. Um, I'm not saying that the barge will be as bad as that. What I am saying, though, is that Whilst I agree with you that we are, in a sense, and this is always a dilemma in journalism, which is, are we being manipulated? Probably. Are we, by supplying oxygen to this subject, are we playing their game up to up to a point? But I do also think that, you know, precedent with this government and the way in which it looks after, in inverted commas, refugees suggests we should keep a very close eye on conditions on that barge because yeah i i do agree yeah, yeah i mean that's that's all um but I, I agree with you there is a much bigger picture here yeah. which is that clearly border control for any mature democracy any industrialized nation a g we're a g7 nation um any nation has to be an issue that is done fairly 
you know, the rules are bound to be complex. The legal issues are complicated. What this government has done, and you're spot on to locate it in people rather than policies, you know, Braverman, Lee Anderson, Robert Jenrick, and frankly, Sunak, you know, Sunak, for all his nice guy, smiley countenance, has gone very hard on small boats from the start. And when he was running for the leadership last July, said the only thing he objected to about the Rwanda policy was it wasn't tough enough and he came up with a more robust version of it. So these people are, they're playing pure culture wars with this. This is not an attempt to govern. This is an attempt to find a group of people that you can dump on. Populism thrives when you attack elites yeah. and you uh, blame the, the, the weakest people in society for big problems it's yeah. it's it's a disgraceful form of politics but that's what this lot do uh i come i keep coming back to something you yeah. said matt in a in a i think it was a couple of episodes ago about sunak which is how do you sleep at night and i really think that is now emerging as a kind of constant theme in all this my view on sunak as a person is hardening by the by the day and the way that he clearly is playing to any any kind of policy uh, consultancy about saying, you know, bring it back to the green crap. You know, tell people about the green crap. We're going to ban all that. Tell them about the cars. You know, we're going to be the fan of the driver. Tell them how much you love Disneyland. You know, tell them this. Tell them how you're going to stop the boats. Tell them how you're being assailed by um, the European Court of Human Rights. You know, all of this stuff. This... If I can kind of forgive Lee Anderson because he strikes me as just a, a slightly uh, jumped up thicko who is, is is has got a knack for populism and 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 being that kind of pub bore, the, the kind that you go when when he walks into the pub you go oh Christ here he is again you know it's that he's that kind of fella. I can kind of forgive Suella Bravman because I think she is just so far out of her depth that. She she is just flotsam and jetsam on the on the tide of of this dreadful conservative wave we've we've been subsumed by for the last few years. But I can't really forgive Rishi Sunak because he's a smart, intelligent man, and he must know what he's doing is cheap, nasty, divisive politics. All because. He can't bear the idea of personal failure because his vanity is such that he cannot abide the idea that his great nemesis, Boris Johnson, could do populism better than he could. That's, that, that's, that's where I'm on with him at the moment. And I, I find it tawdry and depressing that this is the calibre of people who are running this country right now. Well, it's also interesting, isn't it, that, I mean, it's famously a, a, a massive issue for governments how do you renew in office and that's a legitimate question for proper governments this is not a proper government this is a government that has gone through numerous iterations since 2010 you know it's gone from the husky hugging david cameron of 2010 to uh, where we are now where you know the main issue this week of of the uh, uh, being pursued by various ministers in the government with the blessing overt blessing of the prime minister is how horribly can we treat refugees uh, that's a big thing. And it t there's yeah. something extraordinary, isn't there, after 13 years 
to have a government that's saying, look, you know, the, the, such failure, you know, it's 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 not renewing government. It's, it's redefining yourself as a single issue campaign group. Everything changed, obviously, with Brexit. But what we've seen is, as you say, the departure of Boris Johnson was meant to usher in, according to Sunak, a new age of competence and integrity and so on. And it has done no such thing. And so what you're seeing is a, a lower grade form of populism without the charisma, without the, 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 the sort of colossal, um, horrifically colossal figure that, that Johnson cut in British politics for, for more than a decade. And it's just a, the, the tawdriest end to an era, I think. Yeah. And also, again, in terms of distractions, the real stories, in, there's no shortage of real stories in this country about how, you know, major significant issues that need fixing. The fact that I was reading the Trussell Trust, who uh, look after more food banks than, than anybody else in the country. I think they've got more than a thousand food banks. They are saying comfortably, that this winter is going to break all records for people needing to use food banks. And it's up since, hang on a sec, let me get it, a third more than the same period in 2021, 50% more than before the pandemic, people needing to use food banks in this country. Uh, the levelling up fund, what happened to levelling up? No, that's been forgotten. They've spent less than 10% of the $5 billion they put aside for the levelling up fund. That, no one talks about levelling up anymore. That's gone. So you've got this procession of distractions taking you away from real human crises. And meanwhile, the front pages of the Daily Mail are, and the Daily Express and the Telegraph or whatever are full of just stop oil because they're slowing traffic down on some high streets. If people stopped for a minute while they're stuck in those traffic jams and thought about, hold on, relatively what are the real problems in in this society just stop oil would be about number 97 of a list of 100 you know they they wouldn't even make the radar but we are being distracted as a nation by by a, a cynical government and an even more cynical right-wing media i think and, it, and it's very dangerous times yes i agree and i think that it's the old slogan that i remember both Obama and Gordon Brown used to use, which is how come as the politics get big, as the issues get big, sorry, the politics get small. And I think this is a kind of very vivid example right. of that, sort of pathologically so actually, which is that, as you say, you know, that as the issues ahead of this country get bigger and bigger and bigger, Sunak's government is, you know, it's kind of shutting the iris of, 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 the, of, of, the, of the camera of government it's barely a pinprick and we've talked about track b before on on this podcast which is the idea that sunak knew that the economy wasn't going to deliver him it wasn't going to come through in time to deliver electoral victory and so he had to have a track b which was basically any form of culture war you can poke a stick at and it's just degenerated to the point where you have all the things that you mentioned matt Let's not talking about food banks. Let's not forget that Lee Anderson earned his nickname 30p Lee by saying that people should be able to subsist on 30p a day. Um, yeah. You know, an incredible thing to say. And yet it's presented by some people on his side of the 
Conservative Party as speaking the truth. Um, let's not forget that he is part of this ginger group called the New Conservatives that launched themselves, about 25 of them. They all elected in 2017, 2019, heavily concentrated in the Red Wall. They launched last month with a 12-point plan to bring down immigration by 400,000. And uh, a lot of it involved direct attacks upon the European Convention on Human Rights. And I think for that lot, and they they may not represent a majority in the parliamentary party at the moment but they certainly represent the membership um it's an absolute cert they want exit from echr to be part of the next manifesto now whether it is or not we'll see 21st century conservatism is heading towards the exit not just of the eu we've done that but from the kind of basic rule of law ethical minimal ethical standards that have defined europe since the war this is very very big and yeah. momentous decline, uh, kind of off the precipice, off the cliff edge of what conservatism means. Um, because we can all remember conservatives yeah. who would would be absolutely appalled at that. But they've all been purged from the party. Yeah, and, and, and your point is so well made about 30p Lee. And we did, we did a front page of the New European the week before last with a pastiche of Barbie with Suella Braverman and a few accoutrements, sort of like, um, you know, a blue passport and some barbed wire and various devices to stop refugees and asylum seekers. And instead of Barbie, it said barbaric. And it was presented as though that was the gift box. And I sent it to our our fellow podcaster and new European editor-at-large, Alistair Campbell, and said, what do you think of this? Do you think it works? And he said, I love it. The problem is she'll love it too. Mm. And this is, you know, this is the salient point is that they want to be seen in this light. I'll bet you every time Lee Anderson sees 30p Lee trending on Twitter, he he loves it. Because like I said at the beginning, you know, bleeding heart liberals complaining about something equals his folk cheering about something. That's how they see it. And this is when people talk about culture wars, this, we've got to be very careful about not being played and about not falling into the trap of, one, stereotyping them, characterising them as sincere uh, uh, bigots, because they're, they're much worse than that. They are cryptically cynical bigots. And secondly, we've got to be very careful about sticking to the facts, you know, and keep bringing people back to what's actually happening and not the headlines on the Daily Mail, but the reality and looking for information in places that aren't as shouty as Mail Online or the front page of the Express. But keep, keep it on the facts. The facts are, five years ago, there were 40,000 asylum seekers having their asylum processed. Now there's more than 160,000. Who is responsible for that? Suella Braverman. End of story. No, I agree with all of that. And on that bombshell, and on that bombshell, let's take a break. Let's come back with something a little bit lighter, a little but bit still lighter. cultural. Yeah, not culture wars. Great culture. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Matt, a sad week in many ways for radical culture. Yeah. Which, let me, let me throw it to you. Like, let me throw you that ball. <laughs> well, you may... Or may not have noticed I'm wearing my Anarchy in the UK T-shirt. And this is in honour of Jamie Reid, uh, who I would be surprised if a huge proportion of our listeners have heard of. But he's a very important artist. He died this week, age, I think, 76. And he was the he was a great friend of Malcolm McLaren, the Sex Pistols manager. And he basically designed the visual identity of Sex Pistols uh, and of punk. And so this T-shirt was appeared on the cover of the single Anarchy in the UK when it came out in, I think, 1976. And he did the famous, um, and here's my, I'm doing a lot of merch today. This is a merch week. Here's my God Save the Queen mug. Um, and he redefined um, design in all sorts of ways. He used the uh, cut-up letters that we use by blackmailers and, and, and in a way that harked back to Dada art, but also became mainstream and it's interesting because i can if i wore this t-shirt in 1976 i'd have had my head kicked in i can go to the shops i can go anywhere i can go to the opera wearing this t-shirt now because it's been the ideas he came up with came into the mainstream and uh it's very interesting when people you haven't heard of necessarily have a big impact upon the world around you and we were talking about this before the podcast which is Another guy, a giant of cinema, who again is less well-known now than he was, say, 30 years ago, William Friedkin. What did he do? Well, he made two all-time classics films. Um, first, The French Connection, 1971, starring Gene Hackman as Popeye Doyle, 
and Roy Scheider as Claudio Russo, which is the absolute archetypal gritty cop uh, movie. In fact, should we, should we ask our, our glorious producer, Matt Hill, to, to rustle yeah, up a, 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 a bit of a clip from, from, from that film? So there you get a you get a picture it's of absolutely brilliant, isn't it brilliant? I mean, you get a picture of uh, yeah, a, a completely new way of doing cop movies and cop movies that involved really hardcore drug deals. This is back in 1971, 52 years ago. If the French Connection had never existed, I'm not saying these shows would never have happened, but they might have been very different. The Wire, uh, Narcos, Fargo, uh, a film like Seven, all these movies were really, really defined by what Billy Friedkin achieved in The French Connection. And it's it's interesting because I don't think he's as well-remembered now as he was say in the 90s but but his influence is everywhere i remember a great quote from him uh where he said because he made he started out making documentaries tv documentaries and he and he said that what he wanted to bring to the film but he didn't know if it was possible but he wanted to bring to the film the idea that the camera didn't know what was going to happen next and that's that's exactly the feel you get watching the french connection is it's all over the place everything's happening you know it's kind of it's it's almost like it's a surprise to the cameraman that something's just happened and that sense of vitality but the language as well they're sort of a great screenwriter as well you know and of course his other big massive monster hit was the exorcist two years later 50 years ago here comes on boxing day uh 1973 comes the exorcist which to the, I went to see it again um, just before Christmas, and it is still very scary. And um, it, it has not lost its power. Uh, the special effects are horrific. They look a bit sketchy compared to today's CGI, but so what? It's half a century ago. Uh, it still makes an audience gasp. It's about, a, for those who haven't seen it, it's about a, yeah. uh, a 12-year-old girl uh, played by Linda Blair who is... Um, possessed by a demon in Georgetown in uh, Washington. And her mother's a, a screen actress, um, Chris McNeil, played by Ellen Burstyn. And they go through this ghastly sort of process of trying to diagnose what's wrong with Regan through the medical procedures and that you would, and they come up with nothing. And so in desperation, uh, Chris McNeil, the mother, goes to... A priest called Damien Carras, who's wonderfully played by uh, a guy who was pretty much an unknown called Jason Miller. And uh, to cut a long story short, they they do perform an exorcism. They bring in um, Max von Sydow, who uh, I, I discovered not long ago was only forty four when he played the old priest. So it's pretty pretty impressive. Um, and and the the film is about that kind of battle between the old priest and the young priest uh, trying to defeat um evil and cast the demon out of regan it's a very simple plot in a way but it's it's incredibly powerful and it just blew away audiences i mean there were queues around the block for weeks and weeks and weeks and uh it 
it, it's interesting. It's a seriously good film. And it's still, again, it like The French Connection. And this comes back to how people you might not have heard of define the world around you. The horror genre was completely rewritten by The Exorcist. So if you're going to, a lot of people will go and see the 10th installment of the Saw franchise when it opens next next month or in October. It's around then. And, and that's a fairly schlocky um ordinary franchise but that would be unthinkable without the the world of the exorcist you know the world the world the exorcist created is the world in which uh the omen the amityville horror uh the the, uh, there was a dreadful film this year called the pope's exorcist starring russell crowe which you know has russell crowe starring which really uh, you know i mean what a ripoff and it had it had words that aren't used anymore but straight to video written all over it but it's still going and i noticed um <laughs> poor william freaking that they've been trying to squeeze juice out of the exorcist franchise which should never have been a franchise um and they're trying again and bringing back ellen burston who was in the original to do a new trilogy uh starting later this year with exorcist believer and you watch the the trailer and you don't want to see the movie it is just embarrassing but what it shows is that yeah. someone who, again, has been really off the... It's, it's a long while since Freakin' made a, a a movie of any substance, probably Killer Joe in 2011 with Matthew McConaughey. Um, you know, even now, and I well, I bet when the news of his, his death broke, a lot of people did barely noticed it. And yet, they'll be going to cineplexes later this year or watching streaming things online that are absolutely drenched with his influence and it's i mean we were talking about this earlier it's like a very interesting phenomenon because we're so used to thinking about the now the next big thing what's going on the contemporary digital culture makes us think like that and actually culture doesn't really work like that does it i was thinking about people who who changed john you know or or synthesized genres and created something new or just changed how we think about something cultural. And I, I came up with a little list of my top five oh, great. people who, who I think... So in, in, in reverse order, but the, no particular order. First one, Oprah Winfrey. Right. A news reporter given a 30-minute show to talk about stuff to people in Chicago and basically creates the talk show which is now, you know, one of the dominant forms of, of popular entertainment. And, and I mean, and still going strong. And the world's first black billionaire, by the way. Mm. It's just fascinatingly. Yeah. So uh, I, had a, I thought Alfred Hitchcock, yeah. as, a, as a body of work, you know, for a ma- you know and, and such an amazing touch for horror, for suspense, for, for comedy as well. You know, but great, amazing... Uh, I think it was I think it was Friedkin who said if you if you he said to film students I thought this applies to journalism students as well he said the first thing I tell film students to do is get out of film school he said just because they'll teach you all of the ordinary you know they'll teach you the the standard but what you want to do is go and watch everything Hitchcock shot and within that body of work is everything you need to know about making amazing movies so I thought that was fascinating Bill Shankly. Do you know who Bill Shankly is, Matt? I do. Former, even I know that. 
former manager of Liverpool, one of the greats. There we go. But you're pr- are you proud? He create. I'm delighted. He created the. He really created the spirit of 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 Liverpool Football Club, who I love so much. Although I must confess, my dad, who was 90 this week, and and oh, we had a birthday. great party with also a, a, a two mats listener. Thank you very much. A two lit two uh, two mats listener. My auntie, his sister Sheila Reed. Hello, Sheila. Hi, Sheila. Both big Everton fans. And my favourite Bill Shankly quote is not the one about. Football's not a matter of yeah. life and death, I can assure you. It's much more serious than that. My favourite quote is, if Everton were playing at the bottom of my garden, I'd shut the curtains. <laughs> Maybe that, that might have come out a bit more Clint Eastwood than Bill Shankly. But that's <laughs> actually quite good to have him as Clint Eastwood. <laughs> and, but then a guy who you and I will definitely both know, but will probably be a new name to a lot of listeners, Hugh Cudlip, who... Yep. Hugh Cudlip in the 1950s basically, re- well, he invented popular tabloid journalism, not in the sense that the sleazy sense that some people might associate it with now, but in the sense that a mainstream media that was talking to people and it, he invented the modern Daily Mirror uh, in, and it, it was all about being anti-establishment and speaking for the working classes and it was an absolute first and the use of great photography in, in newspapers. Hugh Cudlip basically pre- invented the concept of about 85% of what you now think of as newspaper media. And of course, that's bled into online as well. But my number one is our great friend of the show, uh, Pablo Picasso. Because I don't think, and I, I thought about this long and hard, I don't think in the history of any culture or art or anything Uh, any of the humanities has been a man for all his faults who reinvented the format through sheer energy and boredom reinvented what he did and cast aside enormous success to do something new I think Picasso stands alone at the top of, of a mountain of cultural gods for me anyway I love that shall I provide my own five Please. Okay. Please. Uh, The most sentimental of them all is Martin Amis, because I think that he's unfashionable at the moment. And when he died, um, I thought Will Self did a fantastic piece for the New European on that. Really, really strong. He knew Martin very well. Um, But at the moment, his work is not in uh, the the greatest of sort of, you know, uh, it doesn't have as many accolades as it did in the past. Because we're going through an era where that kind of very masculine uh, voice just doesn't have as many takers. But he was a great, great essayist and he he completely imported the American style of high art autobiography that people like Saul Bellow and Philip Roth and others had uh, perfected and brought it into this country's literature. And it's still there. And what's interesting is that quietly because it's not cool or woke to advertise your love of martin amis people are still reading him and i think he'll last that's number one number two also a little bit of sentimentality but but i think i'm confident about this was uh, jamie reed's great friend malcolm mclaren we mentioned earlier whom i was very lucky to know and hilariously advised on his bid to become mayor of london in 2000 uh, we got to six no. percent we got to six percent really yeah we got to six percent in the polls and at that point i thought 
that'll do malcolm uh and he you know he very gracefully stood aside <laughs> i think any back ken anyway um Malcolm was an amazing character and also a brilliant synthesis and best known for the Sex Pistols, but he did so much more, um, including, you know, uh, Launch Boy George, Bow Wow Wow, uh, Give Adamant his new image, and then become a very successful solo artist. And one of the things he did, an album that's just been re-released, Duck Rock, basically he went around the world hoovering up all of these new world music influences, including very early understanding of hip-hop and uh, b-boys and so on and and a lot of stuff on that album is now kind of standard fare in world music so it's just a a groundbreaking genius in my view uh so that's two number three i i've got to say tony morrison uh because i think that her novels particularly beloved to say they they raise the african-american voice it just doesn't cover how amazing and expansive they were yes they did do that and she was a publisher who became an author um she absolutely fills the skyline of late 20th century writing and you know every single novel she wrote was brilliant and she was a feminist and a uh, civil rights campaigner and you know but it, but it was but also the the aesthetic she created on the page was just mind-blowing and i think she will last uh well she's a she's a classic uh fourth jan venner because i think that rolling stone long past its best now and but but when he founded that magazine it absolutely captured the zeitgeist of the rock and roll era where and he understood and foretold the extent to which culture and politics would become enmeshed. So he'd send Truman Capote off to hang out with the Rolling Stones, but he'd also send Hunter S. Thompson to go on the election trail. And the best of Wenner's Rolling Stone is is really what modern uh, long form journalism is all about, which is what's the what's the kind of the the borderlands between culture and politics. Um, Rolling Stone is not the magazine he founded at all anymore, but at its height, it was just absolutely sublime. Uh, and the last one I think uh, one should mention, given that we're doing a podcast, is Joe Rogan, who, for all his faults and um, for all the mistakes he's made about, particularly during COVID, um, has completely revolutionised this form. He's a long form interviewer. That's it. He's, as we know, a stand-up comedian. He's also, um, oddly enough, he's a martial artist of great distinction, but he's a brilliant and curious interviewer. And it took him a while to get there, but he's he's completely or almost single-handedly invented the long-form interview podcast. And it's incredible. I mean, you know, he can get anyone he wants in the world. He turned down Trump because he felt that to let Trump onto his show yeah. would be to give him oxygen but his uh interview with robert kennedy jr was listened to i think by 40 or 50 million people uh which just knocks all of the cable news channels in the states you know out of the park his yeah, arguably a, that's a great list i mean arguably list. rogan is the most influential media figure in the world at the moment that's not a popular view <laughs> in the yeah. circles we move what, including the two max well I, sure. look i mean he the number i can't get him off the phone right he wants to be a guest i said joe you know <laughs> you have to wait your turn mate you know but uh he's a big fan of yeah. course it's a, a massive brilliant list matt 
What, what didn't we talk about? Uh, to go back to something you quite rightly mentioned, Matt, about real subjects. Um, today, Thursday, it was announced that people waiting for hospital treatment has hit a record high of 7.6 million. And already government's blaming it on the striking health workers, but it's worth pointing out that it was already 7.2 million in January. Now, some of this is COVID, but essentially, and it returns to the point that we keep making, that it goes back to a government that is simply not willing to engage with the structural realities of the world in which we live. Yeah, absolutely. And also, more depressingly, you saw... Um uh, forecast for a huge uptick in um, mortgage arrears um, and there'll be a proportion of those that end up in repossession I'm sure although hopefully not as bad as it used to be in the what, late 70s early 80s but uh, more bad news down the pipe so anyway just to reinforce there are no shortage of of real material stories that do not involve a handful of asylum seekers on a barge that, no, that the, we need to make a conscious effort to talk about more. Uh, one one story that uh, amused me, I don't know if you saw it, Matt, but it really is squarely in the new European wheelhouse, was, and I think we need to page Dr. Freud on this one, which is that at 10.20am this morning, Downing Street tweeted that the boastfully that the UK was, and I'm quoting, home to twice as many AI companies as any other EU country. And I, I think this is, this is the subconscious of the government wishing it hadn't done what it did. We're yeah. still in the EU. And um, it, the tweet was amended to any EU country at 11.06, 46 minutes later. Um, Do you think we could just identify as an EU country? <laughs> I think we could. It's we just make like a, like a what you mean like a membership reveal party. You know, Rishi Sunak would just have us a little party at the. We've now decided to identify as a European Union country, having decided that being on our own was a really shit so idea. So it would be LGBTQIEU. <laughs> yeah, there we go. No, on dangerous ground now, which is where <laughs> I'd like to be. So that's fine. This week's cancellation, <laughs> folks, for anyone who was wondering. Right. And remember, folks, the latest edition of The New European is on newsstands now. It's our double summer edition. It's jam-packed Very full nice. of absolutely brilliant journalism and a good distraction from all the uh, aggro in the world, although we do cover some of the aggro. Uh, and that you can find that on newsstands everywhere. Uh, and it's also on our website, which is theneweuropean.co.uk. And podcast listeners can have a great deal on a subscription. Just head to theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats that's the number two m-a-t-t-s there's a link in the show notes and every new subscriber i will personally provide you with a very high quality bollocks to brexit passport cover worth 24.99 absolutely free of charge with your wonderful new european which you can get for just one pound a week great value Thanks again to the third Matt producer, Matt Hill at Rethink Audio. And until next week, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Goodbye. Goodbye.